Okay, hey, this is Brian Smiga with the Alpha Venture Podcast. I'm here today with Josh Siegel of Rubicon Ventures. Uh, welcome, Josh. Thank you, Brian. I appreciate it. Yeah. Happy to be here. So Alpha Ventures is a growth stage venture fund that works with funds like Josh's to assist in fully monetizing their pro rata rights <coughs> in late stage rounds. And uh, as, a, as a result, we're tracking category leaders uh, that have been invested in by folks like Josh. Josh is here today to talk about Rubicon and also about a category-leading company he's invested in, uh, which is doing phenomenally well. So, Josh, welcome to the show, and please tell us about Rubicon to start out. So Rubicon Venture Capital is a bi-coastal firm. We have offices in San Francisco in the Valley and New York City. We invest typically in late seed Series A and Series B rounds of software internet tech companies. So that can be fintech, enterprise SaaS, B2B, B2C, insurance tech, hospitality tech, mobile big data, artificial intelligence, machine learning, and things like that. Uh, we stay away from healthcare, ed tech, you know, energy companies, oil and gas, and anything that's highly regulated, like smart city stuff and things of that nature. Uh, and we're we're generalists, so we can pretty much invest anywhere, uh, be it within the United States or externally. We have done some international investments already as well. Great. So you've got a great group of companies in your portfolio, and performance to date's been been great. <laughs> because we've been following you for four years. We're really pleased to see how your portfolio is performing. But one standout winner is Today Ticks. Uh, maybe we could start with the origin story, both you know, why did the founders do this, and when did you first meet them and then navigate to the decision to invest? So interesting enough, my office in New York City is in the meatpacking offices of the WeWork building. Uh, principally because I live a few blocks away, so it's ultra convenient, but also because there's lots of companies always coming through the building on a monthly basis. So there's about 150 companies that cycle through here every month. And it just so happens that the original two founders of Today Takes had the office right next door to mine in WeWork on the third floor. And so I met them fairly early on before they'd even taken any seed capital because it was just two guys that had an idea that wanted to create something to upend the Broadway ticketing market, you know, originally in New York City. So I originally met them probably in October of, you know, 2011. Maybe it might have been November 2011. Uh, we did not invest until April of 2014. So I had known them for a good two years plus already before we made our initial investment. And over that two years, <clears throat> I got to know them as individuals. I got to know them as you know, entrepreneurial partners. I advised them on how to do their early funding round. I was able to introduce them to their counsel that uh, you know, helped them found the company and you know, structure the deals. And I provided them with sort of mentorship and support for quite a bit of time before making an investment. And it was a great way to get to know. Them. You know, one thing that's really important to understand about Rubicon is that we are not really a seed stage investment uh, venture capital firm. So 
we like to see some traction before we're writing that check. And, you know, sometimes startups can take a long time before they're really generating that first initial million dollars in ARR, which is what we like to see. That's great. So there was a long two and a half year get to know each other period. And I, I guess one takeaway here is that venture firms like yours, ha- ha- when they have a good hangout and see lots and lots of companies can pick the top one or 2% of those companies that make an impression on you, provide some add-on value, and then eventually you came together. So what, what catalyzed the decision in April of 14 to invest? Well, we had been watching them ever so closer once they had launched uh, in 2013. So we were watching you know, how the launch was going and how things were really happening. As a native New Yorker, I really understood the dynamics of the market and what they were trying to solve. Because as most New Yorkers and even a lot of tourists know, there's what's known as a TKTS booth in the middle of Times Square, which is a last-minute ticketing booth for off-Broadway and Broadway theater tickets. And basically, you have to wait in line for three or four hours uh, in order to buy these discounted tickets. So what Brian and Merritt were trying to do is just mobilize that entire process, which to me made perfect sense. You know, why stand in line when you can just do it on your phone? So it was a no-brainer from a thought process. The key is, how do you get people to change behavior? How do you get the word out? How do you get people to know what's going on? Um, The other issue is availability of inventory. Theater is still very much a handshake business. It's not run by big corporations, although Disney does have a foot in the door in certain things and some other companies. But it's still very much a family-operated business, at least in New York and most of the other big theater cities. So you have to get the inventory directly from the theaters, which means directly from the people that own them or own the shows. You can't just go online and be like, hey, I want $100,000 worth of tickets for the next week. Just give them to me. It doesn't work that way. So both Brian and Merritt had a lot of relationships, and they were able to get the inventory, and then they were able to sell it uh, along with you know, a certain amount of uh, fees and commissions in order to make the business. And so we were watching that very carefully. So following the launch, they realized, hey, we need to raise additional capital to fuel marketing growth because now that this thing works, we've done the test, we actually need to construct a full round of capital to get us to the next milestones. And that's when we came in as a fund. Yeah, one of the catalysts must have been that with the TKTS booth on your mobile phone, all of a sudden you had younger, perhaps more loyal, more interesting patrons buying tickets that way. And that must have been an important signal to the producers and the providers of inventory. Um, is that the case today? Does, it does, does, does today ticks bring perhaps a new, younger, more avid audience to the theater? Yes, that is the situation today, but it wasn't the... the the knowing situation years ago, you know, they weren't sure, but today a majority of the tickets are purchased by the under 35 set and ticket pricing in the theater business is quite high over a hundred dollars a ticket typically. And so they're spending more money uh, on a per transaction basis and it's a younger demographic. So they're bringing more people, but more importantly, they know exactly who the people are that are buying the tickets. 
because it's on your mobile device. It's not from a third party. It's not just random, right? And you really have to have the device with you in order to pick up the tickets from the um, Today Ticks personnel that stand outside the theater, right? So you can gift them. There's ways to do that, but 90 plus percent of the people are using the tickets themselves. So the theaters actually do get to know who's actually in their seats, right? Yeah. So lots lots of advantages uh, to doing the TKTS booth and then the ultimate sales and customer loyalty programs uh, on the mobile phone. Um, along the way, there had to be some interesting pivots and or uh, reaches that the founders needed to make, uh, whether it was moving to London or other. C- can you describe one of these heroic uh, changes or... Uh, uh, leaps the founders made that worked out? Yeah, so one of the biggest changes was the business model. Originally, they were taking a commission on the fee structure of each ticket. So if you sold a ticket for $100, you know, they were taking anywhere between 5 and 10%. Right. <clears throat> what has happened in the last few years, re- really in the last year or so, is they've realized that consumers are open to paying for the convenience fees of getting the tickets delivered and buying them on their mobile device. And that has been a real game changer in the revenue model for the company. So they instituted convenience fees, they instituted the delivery fee, and the fall off was negligible. People were not resistant to paying those fees for getting a better experience, right? So that has really made it so that the company is is no longer, you know, venture subsidized, which happens with a lot of companies, mm-hmm. and it's really an ongoing concern. The other issue is expanding to other geographies. So right now, today, Tix is in New York, Connecticut, Washington, D.C., Chicago, San Francisco, L.A., London, Toronto, and a number of other secondary cities. Um, they're going to be launching more in Europe uh, later this year as well. What you have to understand is that theater is a $50 billion a year market. That's huge. Most people don't understand theater because they're not exposed to it. Even in San Francisco, which can be seen as fairly cosmopolitan, there is a lot of theater, but a lot of people just, if you're not in that world, you don't go. So a lot of VCs just never understood the size of the market because the shows are on every night. It's a limited quantity, but the tickets are, you know, $100 plus versus a movie ticket at least in New York City, it's $12 plus, but in the outskirts, it can be as little as $7. So, yeah, uh, so I, I, I want to unpack that $50 billion number a little bit if, you, if you're prepared to do so. So, I'm presuming we're talking about live performances, which would include comedy as well as live theater. Does that number also include live, live musical performances? No, it does not include it does not include concerts and things mm-hmm. of that nature. That's a whole different category. Mm-hmm. These are really more theatrical uh, type performances. So your Broadway, off Broadway theater, uh, opera would be included in that. Things like Lincoln Center, uh, comedy, things like that, dance, things of that nature, but not your Bruce Springsteen concerts or things of that nature. Yeah, when when I log into Today Ticks, I got to say that the ability to navigate and find an event that suits me and my time frame and my budget is quite amazing. 
you know, I used to do this through the New York Times and then go to the TKTS uh, booth. So in New York, there's a very big theater market and there's a very big paradigm shift away from that booth on Times Square. Uh, there used to be one in the World Trade Center. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Yep. But in other cities like London and elsewhere, are they similarly displacing or at least providing an alternative to a, a same-day ticket buying uh, platform? Uh, yes, they are. So in London especially, there are a number of outlets you can go to for same-day tickets. And the West End, which is the Broadway of uh, London, they have a number of cheap tickets you know, day of. But there's still no easy way to get them on mobile except via TodayTix. I mean, it is the de facto platform. The challenge with a lot of these areas is it's still all about customer acquisition costs. You know, you still have to get people to know about Mm -hmm. the app and and download it in order to use it. And those people that use it typically use it again and again. So the challenge when entering a new market is, yes, you're displacing an incumbent, which is fine. You have superior technology. You have the inventory, which is really important, and now you have to get the customers. Right. So this this formula, which we call customer unit economics around the cost to get a customer and their ultimate lifetime value, it's got to vary in Berlin versus London versus New York, or does it hold steady? Or how how quickly can today takes enter a city and establish uh, what what numbers are going to hold in terms of customer acquisition costs? versus uh, lifetime value. Right. So in a lot of the newer cities, it's still a little bit of an unknown. Mm-hmm. They know what the personnel costs would be in terms of how many people they need to service the city from customer standpoint, how many people they need to establish relationships with the theaters and get tickets. So from the staffing perspective, they have that pretty much nailed down. The challenge is on the marketing costs. You know, where do you market traditional marketing and like subways or taxi cabs versus you know, digital marketing? versus couponing or sending uh, emails through the system from friends who already download the app. So there's still a lot of learnings that happen there. But in the bigger cities, they've narrowed down the cost to know, you know customer acquisition. Uh, I can't divulge details, but typically it's greater than a three-to-one ratio from the standpoint of lifetime value to customer acquisition cost. And that's just now with still a limited uh, amount of time that has gone by. We fully expect that ratio to increase to over five to one over time. You know, this is the challenge with startups in that they don't always know what works in every single city, which is why they need venture capital financing in order to get that money to try things out and experiment, right? The issue revolves around how big the theater market is in that particular city and then extrapolating from there. Mm -hmm. So if you know that the market in Berlin, let's say, is over $100 million a year, then, you know, it's necessarily worth it to go in. By comparison, New York, which is one of the largest theater markets, if not the largest, is a billion two plus Mm -hmm. on an annual basis. TKTS does about 140 million annually of that billion too. So they have, you know, 10, 12% market share. And that's been going on for decades. Um, Today, Mm we'll probably do over 65 million in New York alone in 2017. Wow, and that's just in three years. years. Yeah. Excellent. 
So, so we've got to wrap it up, and I just want to wrap it up where, with a couple of the pieces of advice you've offered that I think are really valuable, and maybe you have another one to add. Uh, firstly, uh, it's clear that VCs that hang out where there are many startups can pick the top 1% or 2% after spending a significant time with the founders. And it sounds like you did several years of assistance pro bono to today ticks before deciding to invest. Uh, well, we do everything pro bono. Yeah. I mean, these are essentially pro bono because we're writing the check. We don't charge mm-hmm. as advisors or mentors or consultants. You know, that's not our job. Right. Our job is to write a check and then help. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it, it sounds like the business figured out that the convenience of not having to wait two hours in the TKTS line is something people were ready to pay over and yes. above the all-in ticket price, and that that's where they could get significant gross margin per sale. And that's, Correct. that sounds very exciting. And uh, finally, that this is a much bigger market than uh, all of us uh, sort of conventional wisdom uh, foresaw. So that's that's great. Um, in closing, is there is there any other single piece of advice you'd offer to VCs in the audience that are seeking a company like this, what, what, what learning did you get from today ticks that you're now taking with you forward? Uh, it's very tough to pin down any one particular issue. I mean, from VC to VC sort of thing, <clears throat> I think a lot of us do watch companies for quite a bit of time before we're making an investment. Mm-hmm. You know, today ticks was one of those ones that it just happened to be at the right place at the right time. And I had the auspices to understand the business model. We're generalists as venture capital firms. So I understand a lot of different kinds of businesses. I think that's one of our advantages at Rubicon. There are a lot of venture capital firms that are narrow focused that only focus, you know, on fintech or on enterprise or something else. And I think they might miss an opportunity that they otherwise wouldn't understand. Right. Which is which is unfortunate. Because at the end of the day, we have to put capital to work. So at least for the younger VCs out there, do not pigeonhole yourself into one specific vertical that that's the only thing that you can do because that vertical may blow up at some point or just may not have a need for you or it could be all different kinds of things. So give yourself room to maneuver. In terms of, you know, today takes from the founder side. Uh, They had a really deep bench of excellent angel investors and then uh, us as the first venture capital investors. And then we brought in other VCs uh, along with us. The challenge, however, was that they really didn't have a deep bench of VCs to go to because VCs didn't understand their business. Mm -hmm. And I think that founders out there really need to understand that you need to know your audience. So if you're talking to different kinds of VCs, before you get to them, learn who they are, learn what you know pain points they want to see solved, learn how they think, and approach them for an investment from that standpoint. Just don't just be like, hey, this is an awesome business. You don't understand it. So, you know, we're not going to waste our time. It's not their job. Their job is to evaluate the business based on what they understand from you, the founder, right? So that's critical. Uh, the other thing from the founder side of thing is that you need to know what you're good at and what you're not good at and be able to divide it up and delegate. You can't do everything as a founder. And sooner or later, you have to delegate stuff that you otherwise were doing every day and understand that as you grow your business, other people 
uh, can make decisions without your input. And that's what happens when a company grows. That's great. So let's leave it there. And I think one of the great things about Today Ticks for our audience is they can go out and get the app and buy theater tickets for friends and family uh, today. And uh, as a customer of Today Ticks who's been following Brian Fenty and Josh uh, in their journey, uh, I can tell you it's a really phenomenal app. It's the only way to get tickets in New York and London. Uh, I've used it in both cities. And uh, I really uh, want to see this company uh, go all the way to a public offering. So in any case, thank you, Josh, for your time today. Thanks for coming. My pleasure. Thank you, Brian.